You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and as usual, this is our weekend review of the news. Just Ask the Press with me, as always, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. Today, there is a lot to unpack. We're going to start with the Donald Trump uh, encourages Russia to attack NATO allies if they don't pay up their bills. Uh, Joe Biden's disastrous press conference in the DOJ report. Are these two old men losing it? Meanwhile, Tucker Carlson interviews Vladimir Putin. Sorry, I had to laugh at that one. Then there is the immunity case. You know, uh, you've got to take a look at Trump's continuing struggles in court, the immunity case, and the Supreme Court Section 3, Article 14. And then all of this under the context is the mass media headed toward extinction. That and a lot more when we come back. Stick around. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question, and I am your host, Brian Karam. And as usual, this is our Sunday Week in Review of the news and views and everything that you have to lose. Uh, with me is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. And I'm going to start out, fellas, with something that's uh, not on the rundown, but it is the, six, the week of the 60th anniversary of the arrival of the Beatles to the United States and there's, I'm going to ask one trivia question. Actually, I'll pepper today with a few Beatle trivia questions, but here's one for anybody that can answer it. What famous punk rock band took their name from the stage names that Paul and John had when they played together and separate from the Beatles in the early 60s? Anybody. And there is a blank. You'll know the band. If I if uh, otherwise you will want to be sedated. No Led answers. Zeppelin. No, no punk Led rock. Zeppelin. The Ramones. Oh. The Ramones took their name from the uh, from a, a stage name that uh, John and Paul John and Paul Ramone, and that was when they played as the Nurk Twins when they were separate from the Beatles. So that that's that's my Beatle trivia question to start the day off, and then I'll have a few more for you, but. Right now, I want to start off talking about the yeah. Here's a here's a segue from the Ramones to Donald Trump encouraging Russia to attack NATO allies. Um, we've heard the as oh. we were talking about before we began today, John. You, you know, and uh, I want to and Michael, I do want to keep this in context as you were saying uh, about Trump's. I guess what his policies would be when he, if and when he came back in office, but. He has said before that the NATO allies should have to pay up, but now he's saying that if they were attacked and they owed NATO money, if they were attacked by Russia, not only wouldn't we do anything, but he'd kind of encourage them to take a whack at our allies. It sounds a bit like a bully tactic to me, John. Yeah, for me, 
it's the it's the the back half of the quote uh, that Donald Trump uh, said at that rally. It's the part about, in fact, I would encourage them, them being the Russians, to do whatever the hell that they want. He's he's being flippant, and they'll say he was joking because that's what his people do. Uh, but that that's not dissuading Vladimir Putin from looking elsewhere militarily in Europe, is it? In fact, it's the opposite. It's it's signaling, hiding in plain sight, if you will, um, that if he's reelected and um, and 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 Vladimir Putin wants to go into Estonia or Poland or any country on that that eastern part of Europe, then Trump's not going to do anything uh, to defend those European countries, those allies. He's just going to ignore Article Five of the NATO Treaty. An attack on one is an attack on all. Um, and and who knows where Putin stops? You know, uh, he certainly hasn't stopped in Ukraine. So that would be a stunning change. <laughs> Talk about a reversal of U.S. policy. I mean, that's that's he's 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 taking what seventy years of American policy and putting it right in the shredder, or depending on your perspective, flushing it down the toilet. Well, the, the more most disturbing part of that to me is the fact that you would use Russia as a cudgel. And in fact, you would abandon the principles of NATO mm -hmm. and abandon the principles of the United States for money and in, in essence saying right. pay up or shut up. And that's not how we base. We have reached out. You know, we had the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe after, you know, they couldn't afford at the time to, to pay. Mm -hmm. But we did and we could. So we did. And it's yeah, there's been a there's been a you know, uh, that's long been our our uh, view towards the rest of the world. We help you. Pay back when you can, but we're here to do the right thing. This is yeah. abandoning the right thing for greed and money. And Michael, well, I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead, sorry. John. There's a policy piece behind this that Trump never is clear about. How much more is enough? And you know, Germany is having some economic problem, unexpected economic problems right now. Um, I don't know how much of so it's it's your it's each member's percent of GDP that they spend on defense. Members are supposed to spend about 2% of their own GDP on defense. There's no NATO budget, right, to buy stuff. But the, the idea here is if we have a bunch of stuff and Germany has a bunch of stuff, France, Poland, so on, then everybody can pull those resources and those troops to take on, um, well, Russia. That's what it was set up for. Um, so he never says how much more for Germany or or whichever country, um, how much more percentage of their own GDP would please Trump. I suspect he hasn't really thought about it, <laughs> number one. And number two, if they did increase, it would never be enough for Trump. Michael, you had well, the policy problems. Yeah, so in the in the larger context, I think what we're beginning to see the press thinking about covering is what are the policies that would underlie a second Trump administration? You know, we have the famous quote of you can only be a dictator for for one day and his policies are um, close the borders and essentially um, drill, baby. drill, baby, drill. Um, maybe he should pick Sarah Palin as his running mate again. Um <laughs> But 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 the point is when you drill down on these things, they're 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 pretty stunning. It, the conversation 
that is reported in, in the paper is that Trump wall president was asked by another European by a European country leader saying if we can't get to the two percent um, and about a, about a third of the countries have but if we can't get to the two percent he asks Trump would you protect us if Russia attacked and that's when he said no I would not protect you in fact I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want that's a stunning foreign policy um, position. Secondly, when you go to the immigration stuff and he says he'd close the borders, it's not simply he'll close the border, something he has no independent power to do, as we see in the Biden administration. But his plan is start rounding up people using sympathetic governors, national guards to come to urban cities and round people up who I presume will be in churches and synagogues and other uh, areas of, of worship uh, protected by the city police people. He's going to go round them up and he's going to put them in uh, holding centers, deportation holding centers. I mean, it, it smacks of... Um, the, the, the U.S. rounding up uh, Japanese Americans in World War II or Germany rounding up its enemies in, 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 in World War II. I mean, what is this that we are willing to tolerate from a presidential candidate? He's going to recreate um, internment camps yeah. while not defending our allies and letting the, the planet burn up. I mean, this is the beginnings of an understanding of what he represents as a policy matter. And my beef with the press at the moment is it is really time, it seems to me, to start focusing on this way more. Because he's getting, I think, more of a free ride again than he should be allowed to get. Yeah. And if this is a policy, if, you know, if, if this election boils down to Whose policies do you support? And yes, there's always which person do you like better. Um, but whose policies do you support? I, I think that we need to have greater clarity around what the policies of each of the two leading presidential candidates is at the moment. So people can make a decision based on what the country will look like beyond who the persona of the individual is that's leading the country. Well, right now, it seems like what we're looking at is uh, the very shallow things going on. I mean, the press, again, covering the horse race aspect of it. And at the same time, and here's our quick segue, at the same time, also taking a look at what Joe Biden has or hasn't done in a press conference recently after a DOJ report said he shouldn't be prosecuted uh, for holding on to sensitive materials. Neither was, by the way, for those who don't remember, neither was Mike Pence. I mean, when Mike Pence was said it, he he turned it over and he didn't get charged. So they go through an exhaustive um, investigation. As Biden pointed out, he uh, had to sit through a inter five-hour interview over two days. And then the uh, her comes out, the special prosecutor who was appointed by Trump and was given the task and at one point in time, cheered by Democrats as being a, a, a very good prosecutor, 
uh, came out and said, you know, no, there's no evidence to indict or charge uh, President Biden, uh, and then ended his uh, his 350-page report, or, or included in this report, the fact that he was just a kindly old man who can't remember everything, and then we've been off to the races. In fact, uh, at it wasn't really a press conference, John. I, I you know, I, I bristle at those who tell us that, you know, at a press conference with President Joe Biden, I want to be firm in this. He's had two press conferences at the White House in his time as president. He has never opened himself up to the entire press corps. It, one time it was during COVID and there were 10 of us there. And another time it was pre-selected and there were like 14 to 20 of us there. It's never yeah. been the open press. It's always the pool. So I'm going to come down on the side that we haven't been able to question this guy uh, nearly as much as we could even pre press, you know, Donald Trump. But nonetheless, in this press conference, he got angry, said that, uh, and look, I'll defend some of what he did I, when he was defending, you know, the when it was her who said he couldn't remember the death of his own son and Biden got upset as a parent. I, I felt his anger. I felt his, I thought that was one of his best moments when he was seething. You could tell he was seething. His teeth were spread thin. And he was talking about remembering it very well, and he was quite angered. The problem he had there, though, was when he walked back to the microphone and then made a gaffe that is typical of Joe Biden. He called it the, you know, he was referring to Mexico when he actually meant Egypt. But that press conference and the, uh, uh, the DOJ report, as shallow as some of that stuff is, has taken over the news cycle. And I guess it purports to be of, of greater interest because we believe that or it is Donald Trump's belief or it is the GOP's belief that he's too old and too infirmed and suffering from Alzheimer's and shouldn't be president. So I, I look at it and John toss it to you, your thoughts on how that went down or are we doing a, a, a decent job of covering it or did we blow, did we screw the pooch there too? I, I think we're doing our job. Uh, the, the press briefing on Friday was for the I can't remember the last time this happened, with the exception of maybe the last three questions. It was um, it was wire to wire about one subject. It was about yeah. the report and the press conference, uh, the press conference, the press availability that the president had Thursday night. Um, very good questions from the White House press corps. They worked together. They followed up on each other's questions. They pressed Ian Sams, who's a spokesman and advisor. He, he focuses on the the legal aspects. Um, he he briefed for the I think the first time maybe. Um, and and he was pressed Corinne Jean Pierre, the press secretary, um, for over an hour. And I thought it was a very good briefing. Uh, I thought we learned some things. We also learned that the White House is having a hard time defending all of this. And the Thursday evening press availability my understanding is it was the in-town pool plus 10 other outlets they capped it uh which i know a lot of reporters weren't pleased with um me, but, but the, the thursday night appearance when i saw the advisory i thought to myself if it's about the report this will not go well for the president if he's coming out to say for example that U.S. forces had killed a leader of an Iranian proxy group in Syria. Okay, he reads a statement, you know, rally around the flag. 
um, they're trying to change the subject. But as soon as I was actually at a meeting and was following along on Twitter or X, I guess that's what we call it these days. And you could just tell from reporters' tweets and analysts and uh, David Axelrod and others that it wasn't going well for the president. And it was it was predictable. It was a disaster. Presidents do this. You've seen it longer than me, Brian. They can't be talked out of something. And, you know, I my understanding is this was being talked about early Thursday. And, you know, 13 hours later, the president shows up in the diplomatic reception room. Well, what was he? He did have an appearance at the House Democrats uh, retreat in Leesburg, Virginia. But it took all day to get him in that room. And you just have to you have to suspect that people on his staff, maybe family, were trying to talk him out of it. But we see when presidents do this, when they're impulsive and angry, they always make mistakes. And, you know, he was he snapped at MJ Lee, a female reporter from CNN. And MJ was she asked a great, straightforward question about his age and and what the polls say. And voters are telling pollsters they're very worried about his age. It was a fair question. It was a good question. It was timely. And he snapped at her. We haven't seen that a lot from this president. He snapped at Peter Ducey. He snapped at everyone just about who asked questions that evening. And it just it was just a really bad look. Um, it, it And it raised new, the problem is it raised new questions about his age and his mental capacity and his memory. And, you know, you use your mental capacity as president, leader of the free world, commander in chief to make all kinds of decisions every day. So, and they're not handling this well. They are not defending this well. I don't think we did well either. I, I'll, 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 push back on that i thought that sure. mj's question was not it could have been asked in a better way i don't think that we as you said we stayed on one subject the entire time and it's the policy that will determine his mental capacity not pissing him off and uh because i would be angry too I, you know you you, you t the thing and i think that was purposeful i think that the statement that was made in that doj report was made to piss off the president and i think they knew it would piss off the president. And I thought that instead of asking policy questions, we harped on something that is going to be best determined by his answers of, of policy questions. Is he mentally competent? Yeah. Sit him up there and let him go and, and answer policy questions. But he was right about one thing. I'll give him credit on this. He was, uh, he was right by saying that was her judgment, not that of the press. And she that question could have been asked without her opinion injected into it. And while it was the right uh, church, it was the wrong pew. I thought it was it was phrased poorly. The question had uh, to do with his age and whether or not, you know, the polls were showing this. What And he had said that any number of other Democrats could defeat Donald Trump. So why doesn't he step away? And to me, that was the wrong question. The question should have been, Mr. President, and there's the question that I want answered. Mr. President, you said when you ran for president the first time that you would not run for a second term, and now you are. And with this pushback, why do you stay here? What policies do you think will not be enacted if you're not around? I think that the if we've got to make it more about policy and less about age, because the one thing we are dishonest about in the press, or, or, or at least disingenuous about, is that we harp on this guy's age and Donald Trump's the same damn age 
more or less, you know, within three years, and has had far many more senior moments than than Joe Biden. And here's the other thing. I've been in a lot of scrums with Joe Biden. I've seen him angry and petulant before, as you have, John, I'm sure. Uh-huh. And yeah. and I'm not sure that any and so I'm I'm hampered by the fact that having watched that, I have seen the very first time I ever asked Biden a question was about Tom Capano, who was the former Delaware assistant attorney general and had blamed everyone else in Delaware for his problems, including then Governor Tom Carper, who is now a U.S. Uh, senator, I believe, and uh, and Joe Biden. And all of it was bullshit. And so when I asked I asked him about it, he referred to Tom Capano as Tom Soprano. And somebody told me, uh-huh. well, that's just <laughs> that's just Joe you know, he's he's a human gaffe machine and he had that reputation. We seem to forget he's had that reputation his entire life. So I found yeah. our contribution to that event. One is stayed in one lane and was very disingenuous. But, Michael, I want to get to what you said about this on CNN. Uh, there is one statement that was made by the DOJ, and I think it was placed there simply to create this event that we're talking about now. But please, you worked on the uh, Herbert Walker Bush, right, investigation. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I was, so there was an investigation um, that was inquiring of whether George Herbert Walker Bush and his administration illegally searched government files for a letter of renunciation of citizenship by then candidate Bill Clinton and we were asked to investigate whether the laws were broken in respect of that of that search. So Joe DeGeneva was the first independent counsel investigating that. I was his deputy, and then Joe stepped aside because of a conflict, and I um, carried on thereafter. And what I was saying on CNN this morning is that the headline of this should be that, which her wrote in the very beginning of his summary, which is, we conclude that no criminal charges are warranted. That's a full stop. No criminal charges are warranted. That means the underlying conduct was not criminal. It's very different if he was to have said, we believe criminal charges are warranted, um, but we can't prove our case. Or like Mueller said, Mueller said in his report, if we had confidence the president did not commit a crime, we would say so, but we can't. All of those are, you know, very different types of statements. What Her did, which in my estimation was his mistake, was he concludes that no charges were warranted, and he should have said, essentially, full stop. What he goes on to explain to the attorney general, which is who this report goes to, he says to the attorney general, look, we found that there may have been some willfulness in the taking of these documents, there may have been some willfulness in disseminating of these documents, but there are a lot of extenuating circumstances here that explain why charges aren't appropriate, just like the Pence case, in a sense. Right. But the gratuitous statement that really got her in trouble was, and I'll read it, he says, in making our decision not to charge Biden, we have considered that at trial, were we to have charged him. At trial, Biden would likely present himself to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. And that featured largely in his decision not to charge. Well, 
The problem with this is he says, we have considered that at trial, Biden would likely present himself to a jury. Her has no idea how, Bar how Biden would present himself to a jury. In fact, I would expect that if he were charged, Biden would present himself to a jury as being fully competent, nice guy, not necessarily a, a guy with a bad memory, who took these documents under the belief that he was entitled to keep these documents because they were mostly notebooks of his own writings, sort of like uh, Reagan did. And when I interviewed George W. George H. W. Bush, he had his own diaries. That's how I think Biden would more likely present himself. If I were defending Biden, I'd say, not and you're not going in there saying, I'm a teetering old man with a poor memory, please forgive me. <laughs> He'd be going in there and saying, I did nothing wrong. I did right. absolutely nothing wrong. I was not willful I, in my taking of this. I was not willful in my giving of this. And I have a very clear memory of what I did and why I did. So when her puts himself in the mind of a prospective jury and says, well, he'd probably come in there with this, you know, sympathetic, nice old man with a poor memory, you know, please forgive me, mea culpa. That's what got him into trouble because he has no factual basis to make that conclusion. And yet that conclusion that he would present himself hypothetically as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory is the headline. And that was that was hers biggest biggest mistake and that which Biden has every right to take issue. And I'm a little bit surprised, frankly, although I understand that Merrick Garland said at the outset, because he doesn't want to get into the same trick bag that Barr got in. Remember, Barr gets right. the Mueller report. He holds it. He issues a three-page summary of his own, which Mueller says was misleading. Not that Democrats said it. Mueller said it was misleading. And he asked that his report be released so as to correct Barr's um, incorrect summary of it. Garland says, I don't want to get in that same position. So when I get a special counsel report, I'm going to let that special counsel report go. I think that it was within Garland's purview to ask her if he thought that type of speculation about what might be in the mind of a jury was appropriate to include in a report. Because right. it wasn't a fact-based determination. It was his musings about this hypothetical um, jury and how Joe Biden might present himself were he indicted. And I think that Garland didn't do the president a service by not, at least as far as we know, challenging her on the inclusion of that sentence. Because if that sentence doesn't exist, the report is is not bad for Biden, really. It says right. he took some stuff. He was under the assumption that his personal uh, notations were not covered by the government, um, privilege laws and, and uh, classification laws, I mean. And, you know, we're not talking about anything. The headline then is no criminal charges warranted. But this one sentence changes the whole dynamic. And it puts Biden in this horrible position, which we saw at that press conference that you were talking about, which is to say, I'm not infirm. You know, give me a math question. You know, ask right. me, ask me, ask me, uh, you know, a geography question. You know, uh, you want to know what the molecular table is? Give me a, you know, shut it out, you know. It's he's in he's in an untenable situation, which brings us back to the conversation we've had on this podcast several times, which is which I think we all have consensus around, which is 
Biden now has to be out on the campaign trail every single day, interfacing with people. And if he makes a gap here and there, if he says the president of Egypt, when he meant to say, when he says the president of Mexico, when he said, meant to say the president of Egypt, you know, so be it. Um, but he's got to be out there. If they're going to protect him um, and keep him away from the people and the press, it's going to further the narrative that the guy is not capable of doing it, which I think is a disaster for him politically. Yeah, I think he, quit hiding Biden. <laughs> let him, let Biden be Biden. Quit hiding Biden. He's got to be out. Of, I, I, we've said it so often. But I do think it, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. I was going to say one of the things which was interesting in the her report, which I don't know that he necessarily needed to do either, was he says, and by the way, there are several material distinctions between Trump's case and Biden's yes, case. And then he, then he goes out, and then he goes out, and he, you know, talks about the Trump indictments. That's not his mandate. Again, he's trying to say yeah. to to the attorney general, look, if you're asking me, attorney general, why I didn't bring biden charges when jack smith brought trump charges if that's the fair question here's my answer right. which is that trump is indicted principally for his obstructionist behavior yes and that's the biggest distinction i'm not sure that that needs to go into the report i don't know that his his mandate was to 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 in, inquire about why jack smith indicted Trump and what the material differences between the two are. So I think there are things in here uh, that just this report needed an editor. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Everybody needs an editor. I swear to Brian, God. I, Go ahead, John. <laughs> yeah, I shared with you guys and uh, our readers can find it on the New York Times website, um, a Friday editorial from the New York Times editorial board that absolutely guts joe biden yeah it does it, it, it it's very well done it's fair it's very tough and it has a line that stuck with me i've been thinking about it i read it last night finally uh um, read the whole thing after skimming it and it has a line that says the president has to come out the the president comes over as hiding or worse being hidden yes and, they stole my line <laughs> yeah it's just that it's a damning piece of work but it's fair, and it makes all of these points um, that he's not campaigning that hard. He's waiting. He's sitting back and waiting, and he's allowing Donald Trump to drive the campaign, to set the tone of the campaign. You're not going to defeat Donald Trump going to fundraisers at swanky apartments on the Upper East Side of New York City. You're going to have to get out there with the people, and as you said, Brian Riley— and, and explain why your policies and your vision um, are better than the other guys. And he's got to start making a stronger public case more often about his view that, that Trump is, is a danger. We don't hear that a lot from, right. from Biden. They want to talk about Bidenomics and, you know, they got the price of insulin down, which is a great accomplishment. But you're not going to beat Donald Trump talking about insulin and top-down, bottom-up, middle-out Bidenomics, you still have to... I don't think the lesson was learned because of COVID in 2020. You can't try to be above Donald Trump. You're going to have to get down in the mud and get dirty. 
Yeah, and and Biden has shown he has that capability at times by calling mm-hmm. Trump a loser. Sure. But he's not been. And I'll, I'll say this much: at 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 the end of the day, when you take a look at what has happened in the last few days, you, Trump takes all the oxygen in the room. Anything that you won't take, Trump will. Right. So Biden Every has to take more of it. And we push. I I remember asking Jen Psaki, get him out here. He's better at speaking towards his policies than any of you all are. And they don't do it, and they haven't do it. And so that begs the question: Is he mentally? compromise is there and we've seen his slow gait we've seen i've been next to him i don't think that he's as compromised as donald trump and ultimately donald trump may end up beating donald trump you don't come out and say you're going to yank support for uh nato allies and build Mm -hmm. many friends internationally or nationally who have uh, battled russia for the last 70 years michael i was going to say one thing which is i really think it's time now for all of those Trump cabinet and other officials who left the administration because they believed that Donald Trump was, pick the word, unhinged, unworthy, uh, unstable, um, not to be trusted. Whatever the reasons they were, they all quit or, or were fired. All of these guys really, I think, have to come out now full-throatedly, if that's a word. They have to come out full-throatedly and say, this is what this danger is all about. You've seen um, Esper, the former defense Mm -hmm. um, secretary, has come out a little bit. And Chris Christie has come out, um, you know, uh, pretty uh, forcefully. But no one's going to listen to Chris Christie. Um, but all of the people who <laughs> not even Mrs. Were, <laughs> but all of the people who were these high-ranking cabinet people really owe the country their full sort of explication of why they think Donald Trump is unsuited for the for the presidency. Agreed. We're yep. gonna. T- Uh, With that, we're going to take a a short break and come back and talk about some other wonderful, fun stuff. But I'm going to leave this block with another Beatle trivia question. How's that for a segue? All right. Can anybody tell me either two alternative names for the Beatles, what the band called themselves in the early days? Or alternatively, can you tell me the how they came up with the name the Beatles? Anybody? Well, I thought it was a play on the word beat. The B-E-A, I mean, they're not spelled after the bug, B-E-E. They're right. spelled after the word beat. So I thought it was always just a play on uh, the the musical, the beat of, 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 of music. And John, anything? Nothing. Okay. So I have no couple, idea. Couple of former names for the Beatles, the Silver Beatles and Johnny and the Moondogs. Uh, and there are others. But the genesis of the name Beatles, John Lennon said it came to him in a dream on a man on a flaming cake. But what really it was, and you're right, it was a, but it was based on the bug, Beatles, with B-E-A-T because they were a beat group, right? But he got the idea of Beatles from Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Ah, that's right. I remember that now. Uh, Now that you say that, I do, I do remember that. And Billy and Bill and Buddy Holly got it. Because in the recording studio, there was, there a, was cricket. a cricket in the wall that they couldn't get 
to shut up and it kept showing up on their on their tapes right right on their acetate so they kept it in and called themselves buddy holly and the crickets so with that you know, if i wanted to get a rise out of you guys i might say something like yeah the beatles they were a great garage band <laughs> they were <laughs> they, they, they were but it was a huge garage they were first one to play in a garage with twenty thousand people so played with ed sullivan and he they it. went to his garage <laughs> they were the first one to do a stadium very first band to ever play a stadium they were Which the very stadium? first it was uh, Shea Stadium and they're very and they were also the very first they were what on the dump. very first they played world... that dump pardon they didn't play <laughs> they that old dump. <laughs> and they were the very first band well they were on the very first worldwide satellite live shot and that was and they played all you need is love and for bonus points can you tell me what member of another famous group was present for that Mick Jagger. There you go. Mick Jagger was there. So stick around. And so was the Queen. And but I have to say that I was at the Shea Stadium concert. You were. I went to that concert. I I so saw did Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium, and I say carefully, I saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium because you couldn't hear a bloody thing. <laughs> I mean, they were playing. They were playing with speakers that were good for a high a high school gym. Yep. Um, in Shea Stadium. Yeah, and and Broadway. yes, and and there was no one in the infield. It's just you see the pictures of it. They were just standing. What at the second base on a on, second you know. base? They came running out of the dugout. Yes. <laughs> um, on uh, onto the stage, but I have to tell you, I. I'm still pissed that I didn't keep my ticket stub, that I didn't oh. have the foresight to keep that ticket stub, along with my Woodstock ticket stubs, which are also missing, and my Mickey Mantle baseball collections, the card baseball card collection. So, you know, if I, if I had all those things, I wouldn't need this damn podcast. It's <laughs> the money that I get from it compared to my <laughs> baseball card collection. <laughs> So while Michael laments his youth, we're going to take a short break and, and we'll be right back. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page. J A T Q podcast. That's J A T Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me always to unravel the week's events is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett, as we just ask the press. You know, I, as we say this, Newsweek just <laughs> released a piece that says special counsel uh, her stuck a shiv into Joe Biden, according to an ex-Obama official. And we could talk about that again all day long, but I want to start out with after all that we've talked about in the first block, 
are we are we simply looking at two old men that should sit down they've lost it or should is there it, it should we still consider either one of these two guys uh trump and biden uh viable candidates michael i'll let you start off with that well i think that america to date has spoken pretty clearly that they wish it were that there were younger people taking forth the torch from Trump and Biden. And you see in polling that Nikki Haley in the general election does better against Biden than Trump does. And, you know, these Republicans, if they nominate Trump, are going to have to fight this, if it ever gets to it, this policy war of Trump's authoritarian vision for America versus Biden's more democratic vision of America. If it were Haley, for example, she could have uh, a more measured uh, uh, foreign policy and say the torch has been passed to a new generation of, you know, the whole, you know, Kennedy um, thing. Similarly, if Biden were to step aside, I don't know that Kamala Harris um, gets the, the nod, but but Murphy out of Connecticut, well, but Murphy out of Connecticut or the um, Newsom out of California, there, there are others out there um, who I think could say, I'm going to carry on the Democratic traditions that, you know, Biden so, so thankfully brought us back to after the Trump years. And I'm going to do so with, you know, vigor and, and, and youth. And, you know, it'll be uh, Camelot uh, part two. I mean, they have so many opportunities. What struck me in that press conference that we were talking about before the commercial break, when um, MJ Lee asked the question about there are so many other candidates that you said could beat Trump, why not let them have their turn? His answer was because I'm the best. I'm the, I'm the most best qualified to, to do it. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of hubris in, in, in that. Um, and yeah, he's the most qualified because he's been around um, the longest, but that doesn't make him the best candidate, you know, standard bearer for the party. I'm and glad you brought that up. That confusion of I'm the most knowledgeable about world affairs to I'm the best candidate to ensure that my vision of the world is what prevails in the 2024 election is up. There's a gap between those two. And I just, you know, I get it that these guys are of the mind that only they can fix it, but it's not true. And uh, someone sort of needs to be talking, especially I think to Biden uh, about this, because Trump is not able You're to not be gonna, reasoned He won't with. be able to get, yeah. But right. to your point, I saw no, I, yeah, that was the one statement that he made that I really found offensive. I mean, if you're going to say I, I'm the most qualified, that's one thing. I'm the only one, you know, that can do it. I have the most experience. To me, I, I mean, I'm going, well, wait a minute. There's a couple of ex-presidents here who also have that much knowledge and they're too old to run. So why the hell are you running? Uh, I mean, uh, you could make the case that Jimmy Carter is, has more experience and he ain't going to run. Uh, right. So these guys, these guys could be like in the case of Reagan. Remember, there was the so-called kitchen cabinet. There right. were those people who Reagan turned to because because of his relative inexperience in global matters 
he turned to these people um, to ask advice. So if a younger guy, if a Newsom or, or, or a Murphy or pick a name um, were to win, then there's a role for the Bidens and the Obamas um, and the Jimmy Carters and uh, others um, to say, here's, here's my thinking, Mr. President. And I think they continue to serve the country ably in that role while allowing someone with the, the, the youth uh, to, to carry forward for perhaps the next eight years. Because remember, Biden were you to yeah. win. He's capitated by four years. And we're in we're in a state, we're in a global state that is not going to be fixed in four years. We've got an authoritarian trend around the, the, the world that is not going away in four years. We've got a Middle East situation that is not going away in in, in four years. And you've got and a Russian away in president. Two thousand years. <laughs> well, and, and and you've got a Russian president who isn't going to um give up power within the next four years. So you really do need, if you have this vision of um, the world as it should be, someone who's going to be there for more than four years. Yeah. And that's true for, you know, that's true whether you like Trump's vision of the world or or Biden's vision of the world. These are these are eight, 16 year problems, you know, at a minimum. And yeah. uh, consistency in, in office over the next Eight years, I think, to me is a, is 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 critical more so than I'm the most experienced guy out there, John. Anyway, I'll let, John, I'll let you finish up this wonderful before we this uh, item before we move on. Yeah, I believe the question was: Are these uh, do we consider these guys uh, credible candidates or, or, or too old? Okay, yeah, um, they are old. I mean, they're old and. Uh, we all have older loved ones and have known older folks. And um, we've all seen what happens is we all get older. Uh, you know, your memory's not the same. You're not as sharp. Um, I had a, a good friend who's who's my age. And, um, you know, he he made the point. I saw him a few months ago and he made the point. We were talking about all, all of these same issues and you know, he's like me in his early mid forties. And he said, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. And, um, you know, he had concerns about uh, the current president's age as he's thinking about the election. So it's out there. It's on everyone's mind. Um, you know, there's some suggestion that Biden needs to, to handle his age or have a better answer about his age. Um, I think Biden just needs to, to, to adjust some things and you know you do have to wonder if if that conversation is different now um with his family you know he wanted to have a conversation before he announced that he was going to run for re-election they had that conversation as a family um i suspect they're gathering uh, as many families tonight to watch the super bowl uh and you just got you you do wonder if that conversation is changing inside uh biden world the conversation that conversation is not happening inside Trump world. I, I think we can. No, and it never we will can be safe there. I, you know, Michael's right that we should start focusing more on on the policies that that these two individuals would uh, would bring uh, to the office. But it's so hard to talk about the policy when you know you're getting special counsel reports that make odd judgments. I didn't know Mr. Hur is a neurologist. 
that he <laughs> that he's now qualified or a psychiatrist or an MD. I I, I missed that part of his bio. <laughs> or so we that get those impression. <laughs> right. And so we've got a career prosecutor making neurological diagnoses in a report about classified documents. It's uh, it's about hard. A, as it relates, John, as it relates to a hypothetical um, jury's perception of that guy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And it's... newsrooms are shrinking and there's only so much time in the day. Uh, when would we get to the policy? Yeah, that's where we're not. <laughs> we're not. We're not going to get to the policy. This is you guys were absolutely right earlier, but this is not going to be an election about Donald Trump's energy policy. This is no, not well, going to be an election about Joe Biden's um, inflation plan. As much as we all wish that that's what we were going to go to the polls and vote about, but we're going to go vote about which old guy do we trust more with the nuclear codes in his <laughs> soup? That's like, you got that one, right? <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, this is not about, you know, Joe Biden's NATO policy. Yes. Which, which old guy needs to use depends less than the other. Let's... <laughs> I don't have any information about that. <laughs> well, we could ask, ask you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you guys one question, uh, uh, something that John, um, uh, just just raised in the aftermath of the her report do you say to biden go on the halftime show of the super bowl if it's not too late you've got 200 million people watching it you'll never get a bigger audience go on there and 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 prove essentially that her is wrong it would seem to me um that that would be an enormous opportunity for him. And his, yeah. again, if it's yeah. not too late, it may be too late. The Super Bowl people might say, we're sorry. We've got too many Budweiser commercials um, who are paying us a million dollars, a 30 second spot or whatever they pay. Uh, too late, Mr. President. But it's hard to imagine if the President of the United States wants to come on the Super Bowl, they're not going to find whatever, yes. how, how, how much time it would take to do that. And I don't understand for the life of me why he wouldn't do it. I said Thursday night, as the this was still very fresh, that I thought a sit-down interview, a one-on-one -on -one television interview, would have been the right place to answer the report. Not how he did it and the format with this pool plus 10. And you know, it's a very frantic situation. Brian and I have been in those pools. And it's very frantic. People shouting over each other. It's very tense. It sit down with John Dickerson or Margaret Brennan or Nora O'Donnell or even Ed O'Keefe or John Bennett or or Brian Karam or Michael Jordan. Sure. I, uh, <laughs> well, I was thinking about the, I'm thinking about the 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 Super Bowl halftime show. I'm thinking about oh. CBS roster of folks. Maybe even Ed O'Keefe, one of their White House reporters. Sit down, you know, tape it at the White House, or you know, I'm sure they would be happy to come to Wilmington if you want to his private residence, which is where sit he is. Sit down in your living room there. And, and go through it with a professional interviewer, one-on-one, -on -one, slower, a slower pace. No one's yelling over each other trying to get your attention. And I think that would have been a better format. And, you know, he could, he probably would have been able to express himself a little better. And he would have been calmed down a little more. One thing that we didn't mention that's in the report, her alleges uh, that the president didn't remember 
the timing of his son Bo Biden's death. And that's I what pissed that's him off really, more than anything. That's really what struck the nerve. Yeah. And, and that's why, I, you know, I don't, I suspect they were trying to talk him into maybe sleeping on it, do something Friday. Um, I think that's a big reason he went ahead Thursday night and why he was so angry. And who wouldn't be angry about that? Right. And here's my question for you and Michael. Do you think, and Michael, you have pointed out that that was that whole statement, you know, uh, about the kindly old gentleman and even the part about his son <laughs> was kind of you know, supposition that shouldn't have been in the in that report. I, I'm wondering, knowing Donald Trump, if that wasn't put there on purpose to needle Joe Biden, if that, you know, this is a former Trump, you know, it was a Trump appointee. It was and uh, we've seen this like with, for example, on the border, the immigration creating a, a, an event that Donald Trump can run on. This gives Donald Trump another uh, gives him traction to run on. So could it I mean, and Michael, you may know more better than anybody. Could it have been put there on purpose to just for that purpose, because they knew it would excite and needle and get the president angry? No, is my okay. one word answer. Only because, and I say that, and I know there are a lot of people saying, oh, her was appointed by Trump and he's a partisan and all this stuff. That's not really who her is. I mean, her her was appointed to be the U.S. attorney in, in Maryland with the, with the support of, um, I, I, you, can, you can look it up while we're talking. I think he may have been um, uh, not uh, nominated by the two Democratic senators. I believe in In um Maryland, and that I think was his vote, a hundred to nothing. His confirmation yeah. vote. So this is not a guy. He comes out of a a, a, a very good bipartisan law firm. Um, I think his thinking was: here are facts. Biden took documents willfully. Biden shared them with his biographer. Biden stored them sloppily. And I am deciding, unlike Jack Smith, not to charge him with willful possession of classified documents. I better have a damn good explanation for that, especially because another former president, former president has been charged with that in addition to the obstruction. And I'm going to do everything I can to explain to the attorney general who the report goes to. This is supposed to be, remember, this is a confidential report to the attorney general under the regulations. The attorney general has the authority to release it, but he doesn't have the obligation to release it. So, I, you know, if you think about it from the eyes of a special prosecutor, um, he is right to the attorney general saying, look, attorney general, if you take me into a room, and you say, I don't get it. Biden did this willfully, did that willfully, stored them as sloppily. Yeah, there's only 12 documents versus hundreds of documents. How, how, do, how do we justify this? Does it not look in some way like a uh, selective prosecution? And her says, in anticipation of that conversation, I better articulate every reason I can come up with for distinguishing this case from that case. So I think that's what he was trying to do. As I said, though, his problem was surmising how Biden might present himself to a hypothetical jury. That yeah. is not fact-based. That is his speculation. 
And that is the sentence that's gotten all of the press and has gotten, you know, her and Biden both in trouble. And it was it was unnecessary. People say the word gratuitous, meaning like it was purposefully there for uh, political uh, motivation. I don't think it was gratuitous in that sense. I don't think that's how heard her intended to it. I think it was purposeful to explain to the AG why he's not bringing charges. But I don't think the way he structured the sentence of this hypothetical jury and how Biden hypothetically might present himself to that hypothetical jury was, was appropriate. That's just not, that's not a fact-based finding. That's, that's a speculation. Um, right. And prosecutors don't normally speculate about those things. They might, no. in their internal deliberations, say, can we obtain a conviction in this case? But they don't say, well, let's see. Can we turn, Can we yeah. obtain a conviction? You know, this is going to be uh, a hypothetical jury in Washington, D.C., and Biden's going to come in, you know, with, with his slow walk, and I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a good, I'm a good guy. You don't do that. You just right. don't do that. Uh, right. There you so, go. But yeah. I don't think, but I don't think Brian, it was purposeful. I don't think her okay. did it with political motive. Others disagree. And, you know, maybe you'll get um, mail to the podcast mailing um, address and we can talk about it in the following weeks. But that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. There you go, John. One thing about the interviews um, that her did with the president, uh, five hours, but it was over three days. I don't I, I I think we're starting to get the picture here that this wasn't smooth. This wasn't let's sit in a conference room or the Roosevelt room or wherever the residents of the White House, wherever they did this. Um, this was disjointed. Remember, this was over the weekend of October 7th. Yeah. I thought it was two days, but it was three. I, I thought. Three, Biden, mine, uh, yeah, it was two? two. It was two days. Well, still, yeah. still. Yeah, still. Two. The president, the president was. Um, and this was admitted. He he was also dealing with um, Hamas's attack inside Israel, right? And trying to figure out what the hell to do with that. You know, trying to get uh, Benjamin Netanyahu on the phone, talking to. I'm sure he was in and out of the the Situation Room in the Oval Office to to get briefed. There more information coming in. Um, so this wasn't you know let's sit down and go wire to wire and 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 do this. This was a disjointed process, and. I, I think that comes through in the report that this was this was a struggle. And when you write things after that kind of process, I think that comes through. And you, I do wonder if her was was annoyed by that. He didn't have the president's full attention. And there's something else going on here. And I don't know. We may never know. Yeah, but there, there you go. There's there's clearly there's an annoyance factor I think that that played a role in how the report was constructed and worded. And on that thought, we're going to take another short break and come back with we still have a lot to unpack, but I don't know if we'll get to all of it, but but so stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show 
to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, here for Just Ask the Press, our weekly review of the news. is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. We got still a lot more to uncover. I don't know if we're going to get it to all of it, but I do, in this short amount of time we have left, We I, I don't care about Tucker Carlson interviewing uh, Putin, but I do care about the immunity case and the Supreme Court case that's coming up this week and uh, michael if you can unpack that quickly uh as we run out of time well so the supreme court argument was heard and that question was can trump stay on the ballot and it seems from the oral argument that the court is disinclined to pull him off of the ballot and it seemed that the consensus and you never can tell from questioning alone was that the belief that whether or not you can enforce the third section of the 14th Amendment, which is the insurrection ban, without congressional action is a non-starter for them. It seemed as if they were going to say, the 14th Amendment says if you engage in insurrection, you can't hold office, um, but we think Congress had to enact legislation to to give effect to that. In fact, they did do that, I think, in um, like 1870. And then right. in 1948, that that law, for some reason that no one knows, was was taken off the books, and maybe some sort of ministerial reorganization of the code. It just you know sort of fell through. Um, but it looks like that's what they're going to do. Then the, then the question is, um, what are they going to do about the immunity decision? The Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia ruled unanimously that uh, Trump is not immune from prosecution. And he has until Monday, the 12th, tomorrow, as we speak, to seek a hearing in the court of, uh, Supreme Court on that immunity question. To my thinking, if I were the Supreme Court, what I would do is in you know, back-to-back decisions, I would say, one, Trump can't stay on the ballot in Colorado and elsewhere because the 14th Amendment is not self-executing. And two, no thank you. We don't need to take up the immunity decision. The Court of Appeals decision was completely comprehensive. Let's go to trial. And so he's on the ballot everywhere, but he's got to stay in trial before the election. That, I think, is the, the, is the best outcome that, that we could get. Um, whether we'll get it, we'll know soon enough. If the Supreme Court takes cert, as they call it, they take the case, we might not get a decision until June. Um, if they don't take the case, then this case will be set down for trial in in March or April. Well, here's my question. And having read the forty seven, I, I the forty seven page judgment, having read it thoroughly, um, I, I looked at it. First of all, they go back to Marbury versus Madison, one of the most iconic uh, landmark decisions in the Supreme Court to as basis for some of the decision. I don't think they're going to overturn Marbury. I look at that and it looks to me like the Supreme Court decided to let the lower court handle it so they would not have to. It's a very exquisite, very detailed 
decision. And it would be, it seems to be well within their purview to say that, I mean, what are they going to say that, that, I mean, they're not going to decide that, that Trump has unlimited immunity because that negates the other two branches of government more or less. And so I, I find I, I, I'm with you. I, I have one, the best outcome of course, is, is that you just outlined, but do you see the Supreme court actually taking this up? I mean, after reading that decision, you need four justices um, to, to take up a case. I think you need five uh, for it to go on expedited um, calendars. I believe that the justices get together as a group uh, in a conference, as they call it, yeah. on the 16th of, of February. So you might get an, you might get a decision pretty quickly about whether they're going to grant cert. In answer to the question of, do I think they need to grant cert? No. I think that Judge Chutkin, the trial judge, gave a very comprehensive um, analysis of the question. Then this three-judge panel, two Biden appointees and a George H.W. Bush appointee, the most senior of them, of course, Judge Judge Henderson, gave a comprehensive, full-throated um, uh, analysis of, of, of the question, rejecting it outright. And I don't see why the Supreme Court needs to take it. I, I think that they can say, you know what? It's settled. This is not something, this is not the type of controversy that we need to engage in, especially if it will be perceived as us engaging in politics, something that Chief Justice Roberts, I think, would like very much to avoid. avoid. They have enough problems as it is. Look, Clarence Thomas was asked to uh, recuse himself from from the Colorado case and all Trump-related cases because of the active role that his wife is playing on behalf of uh, of Trump, and he refuses to. So I think they've got a problem they have to be mindful of, which is the perception of the court as a political body. And not taking the case up, I think, helps them overcome a bit of that um, perception. What about taking it in bank, giving it back to the uh district to D.C. circuit and saying, look, everyone look at it in bank. Uh, well, so the Court of Appeals said to Trump, you can do what you want. Uh, that is, you can seek in bank review and wait and then seek Supreme Court review. Um, but I'm telling you, the court order says, if you seek in bank review, the stay that of the of the trial judge's order will be lifted and uh, she is free to take you to trial. Um, and unless the Supreme Court, you know, imposes a stay or the Court of Appeals in Bonk imposes a stay, uh, that's that he's that trial calendar moves forward. I think that the likelihood that this Court of Appeals, the District of Columbia, will take this case in Bonk, given the composition of the the three judge panel and given the forcefulness of that decision, I think that would be very Slim, and I would be surprised if Trump went that way, especially since it doesn't get him very much of a delay because there's no stay during right. that period of time. So I think he has to go to the Supreme Court on Monday with a cert petition. And she said, while that is pending, the stay stays in effect. And then hopefully the Supreme Court dispatches with his um, request quickly. 
we have a trial and the voting public gets to make a decision um, about what they think of Trump in light of the verdict. Now, he could be acquitted, he could be convicted, but they should at least have, I think, the benefit of knowing whether a, a, a jury believes that he engaged in act, the activities he's charged with in the January 6th indictment, which is that that's the indictment we're talking about. The Mar-a-Lago yeah. case is a big, big hot mess yeah. because of the way the judge in that case yeah. is handling it. We can handle that one next week. John, I, I'll, I'll ask you, you think that uh, at the end of the day that uh, how do you feel about the, the ruling and whether the Supreme Court will look at it? Excuse me. I do not think the court uh, will take up the immunity case. I believe the uh, the appellate court, it was unanimous. Uh, every legal expert, including Michael, it was a strong opinion. I don't see a need for the Supreme Court to take it up. We know that Chief Justice Roberts um, worries about the legacy of the court and, and his own chief term. And, and the court, as, as he's the top judge on it, um, and this, I mean, it doesn't get much more political than this, does it? So I, I just don't think, I don't think Roberts will want to go there. The, the question is, can he, can he convince the other justices, the other, especially the conservatives on the court who are alleged to be just Republicans with robes? We're about to find out. There you go. And with that, we come to the conclusion of another exciting hour of DC politics, but I, I'm, I'm not going to leave without one last Beatle trivia question. As we end this wonderful broadcast, if you can tell me in the song, Martha, my dear, who is Martha? Paul's dog. Sheepdog. But yes, you are correct. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. You know, John, we're going to have, you know, you're going to have to play double jeopardy where your scores will double. Yeah. I'm in the negative right now. I'm not coming back for uh, for round two Jeopardy. Double <laughs> round two of Beetle Jeopardy. I'll be in the green room if you guys need me. <laughs> and Brian, you might want well, to ask your trivia question because uh, it's a great it's a great question. You know, which is what is Helter Skelter about? You always think of it in terms of Charles Manson, and is this something about that? But it is. It's about a sky what, slide. What is it about? A sliding board, a sky slide. It's exactly, and that's why he says, I've got blisters on my fingers. I'm sliding down the sliding pond. And who is Hey Jude about? Oh, that's easy. That's Julian. Oh, that's an easy one. That one's about Jude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> close enough for I got back to zero with that so, Well, listen, thanks for joining us again uh, this week and just ask the press. Michael, what would you like to plug? I would like to plug my podcast, which is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book-based podcast. This book that is coming out next on the podcast is with great sports writer Dave Kindred about his life covering oh. sports and the lessons that you learn from it. The following week is on Ulysses S. Grant and his attorney general Amos Ackerman's war, successful war, on the Ku Klux Klan. So there's lots of stuff uh, to think that the, the podcast gives you thoughts about. There you go. And John. Another big week in Congress uh, as we tape at 1230 on Sunday. The Senate, the United States Senate is in session and they are legislating, ladies and gentlemen. They're working on a national security <laughs> supplemental 
So you can follow along with all that action at rollcall.com. Our our very talented defense and budget teams are all over that. So check out uh, their reporting. There you go. The name of this podcast is Just Ask the Press and uh, part of the Just Ask the Question family of podcasts. And we want to thank all of our listeners for once again making us number two in the uh, uh, independent I got to get this right. Independent podcasts on good pods, independent podcasts about presidential politics. So thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.